So basically, when we're eating vanilla ice cream, we're eating the entire world. Hi, this is Kiona. And this is Luis. And we're your hosts of How Not to Travel Podcast Season 3. Fasten your seatbelts and take your seat at the table. In this season, we're traveling around the world from our dinner tables to see how cultural exchange contributed to some of the world's most famous foods. This week, vanilla ice cream. So, Kiona, I wanted to ask you, could you tell me what's the wackiest ice cream flavor you've ever had? Um, the first thing comes to mind is one time I took my little friend who's 10 years old. Um, yeah. We went to go for ice cream and he asked the lady that he wants sabor chicle, which means he wanted oh. gum flavored ice cream. Yeah, bubble gum, right? Yeah. And I was like, chicle, why? Um, <laughs> so I asked if I could taste some of his. It is blue, orange, uh, pink, like it's all these different colors mixed together. Um, And I felt like the taste was literally like blue. Like, do you ever feel like colors have a taste? Like, tastes like purple, tastes like red. Like, it literally just tastes like blue. Yeah, blue has always been like a very difficult taste to pinpoint because it's not quite like blueberry or blackberry. It's like blue dye. Yeah, (laughs) blue. You know, like like the Gatorades, like blue Gatorade doesn't really taste like a specific thing. It yes. just tastes like itself. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, like the blue Gatorade or the red Kool-Aid or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it just tasted like that. What about you? What was your wackiest flavor? Well, my my wackiest flavor, I had it when I visited this small town in Guanajuato in Mexico called Dolores Hidalgo. I believe you know about it, right? Yeah, I lived there for two months. You probably know then the history of that town, right? Yeah, it was the town of the Mexican independence, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly, yeah. So this town's main square is well known for two things. One of them is just that. it It's the place where Mexico basically declared its independence from Spain in 1810, where like uh, our founding father, Miguel Hidalgo, went and did this famous declaration that is officially when we consider the start of our, you know, of our nation as an independent nation from Spain. Right, El Grito. Which is why it's called El Grito de Dolores, Ah. right? But it's also, and this has absolutely nothing to do with that, but this same town square is also home to a lot of little ice cream vendors that sell all sorts of ice cream flavors. Okay, give us some examples. Yeah, so, I mean, you've got your chocolate, your strawberry, your lime, your mango, all of these. But then you also get flavors like mole, chicharron, avocado, beer. And of course, most people don't really try them. And, you know, the most they do is get like a picture of their quirky menus with all of those wacky ice cream flavors as a souvenir. That was definitely me. I was that basic taking just the picture (laughs) and not trying any of the ice cream whatsoever. And then when I went there, I actually was feeling a little more adventurous than usual. Okay, so which one did you try? I had shrimp cocktail flavored ice cream. That sounds disgusting. (laughs) How was it? It was surprisingly good. Okay, describe. Yeah, you know, I mean, to be honest, it was a little weird at the beginning because like you're sort of expecting to eat ice cream and it's not a flavor that you would associate when you're eating ice cream, right? But to be honest, in the end, it basically just kind of tasted like a very, very chill 
shrimp cocktail, like a shrimp cocktail that you just took out of the freezer. Okay, so basically you're saying that these ice cream vendors are magicians. Kind and of, yeah. they can turn ice cream into your favorite meal. Yeah, or rather they can turn your favorite meal into ice cream. Right, 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 yeah. right, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I wanted to ask you after talking about all of these wacky flavors, let's say you're on like a family feud-like show, right? And the prompt is, we asked 100 people to tell us what they think is the least interesting ice cream flavor. What would be your first response? Vanilla, hands down. I mean, we even, I yeah. even describe people as vanilla. Like if you go out <laughs> on a date with somebody and it was, mm, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. It was vanilla. It was okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that would be my guess. Vanilla. And it's obvious, right? Like we even use, as you said, we even use the term plain vanilla to refer to something like meh, right? Like, yeah. And it's so weird to me because... Going back to the vendors in Dolores Hidalgo and their wacky little uh, ice cream flavors of all sorts, I would like to argue that the most interesting flavor on their menu is in fact vanilla. What? Okay, where is this coming from? It's so weird that we think of vanilla as this dull flavor when in fact it has such a rich history that has developed over centuries, over millennia actually, and gone around the world and has a lot of intersections of biology and geography and climate and history and colonialism as well. And there's just so much to talk about with vanilla and with vanilla ice cream. Actually, now that you mention it, I do remember hearing somebody say, somebody tell me that vanilla per pound or something like that or is more expensive than silver. But I don't know if that's true. I wouldn't be able to say for a fact if it is more valuable than silver, but it's definitely a very expensive spice or an expensive ingredient. And it's interesting because you see vanilla everywhere, right? But then you wouldn't expect it then to be so expensive. What is making it so expensive? That's what we're going to go into in this episode. We're going to talk about why it's such a valuable and expensive and rare ingredient, but then also why it is at the same time such a popular ingredient to flavor so many different things. So before we dive into the history of vanilla, I wanted to talk about the origin of the word vanilla. Basically, vanilla is just a diminutive form for vina which means pod, so vainilla. Okay, so yeah. is the plant a pod? Yes, the vanilla bean is in fact a pod. And uh, yeah, I just love the word vaina so much because it's like, it reminds me of my Colombian and Venezuelan friends who say the word esta vaina to refer to whatever. And it's, it's just such a lovely Spanish word, isn't it? Oh, so it means like whatever? Yeah, it's it means like that thing or this thing and it can re refer to anything. Like if you grab something like this thing, it's just esta vaina, you know, like esta vaina no sirve. Ah, oh, okay, okay. I yeah. understand. All right, so where exactly does it grow? Historically, it was grown in Mexico and specifically in eastern Mexico. And it turns out that there is only one species of bee in the whole world that naturally pollinates vanilla. This is the melipona bee. And this is where the story starts, in pre-Hispanic Mexico. And at that time, vanilla was an important ingredient in Mexican chocolate. Ooh, and chocolate's a whole different thing, right? Like they are, I believe it's a Mayan. Mexican chocolate is a Mayan invention? Yeah, definitely the Mayans had a version of chocolate as well as so many other Mexican indigenous tribes, including 
the Totonacs, which were the ones who lived in this area of eastern Mexico and who originally grew and harvested vanilla. Did you know that hot chocolate, one of the first recipes to include vanilla, is nothing like the beverage you probably enjoy today? In pre-Hispanic Mexico, chocolate was made with water and cacao beans, as well as vanilla and cornmeal, which was used for thickening. It was also served lukewarm and sometimes included other spices, such as achiote, the bright red condiment used in tacos al pastor. It was only after the Spanish conquest that they added the ingredients we all associate with chocolate today, milk, sugar, and cinnamon. And they also came up with the idea to drink it hot. Vanilla was first grown by the Totonacs in eastern Mexico, which is in modern-day Veracruz, and then the Aztec Empire conquered them, and then the Spanish Empire conquered them, and then it was taken to Europe after the Spanish conquest. And that is when it started to be used in more recipes, especially in more recipes that we now associate with vanilla more. Oh, okay. So that's how the Europeans got it, was this series of colonization, basically, or conquering. Uh, a double conquering, in fact, right? Because we also we always talk about the Spanish conquest, but it's important to mention that also the Aztecs were also conquerors of other indigenous communities. So then vanilla was originally thought of as nothing more than just another ingredient for chocolate, right? Because that's the context where they found it. Okay. But then in the early 17th century, uh, there was a creative apothecary who was employed by Queen Elizabeth I. And he invented the first chocolate-free all-vanilla flavoring. And the queen adored it. And so eventually it started to be added to all sorts of things, especially to pastries and to desserts. And importantly, the French were the ones who used vanilla to flavor ice cream. I'm kind of confused. Like if only the Mexican bee was pollinating the vanilla plant, like how are these people getting vanilla? Yeah, that's a great question. So originally you could only get it in Mexico because that's the only place where the bee pollinated the vanilla plant. And a little parenthesis here, because we want to talk about vanilla ice cream, let's give a very, very brief and summarized history of ice cream. So there are conflicting sources. Some of them say it started in Persia about 2,500 years ago. And we know that Alexander the Great enjoyed a snow and ice flavored with honey and nectar. And there's also biblical references that show that King Solomon was fond of iced drinks. And other sources say it's from China from 2,200 years ago, uh, and it was known as a mixture of rice and milk packed in snow. But in any case, Marco Polo eventually brought a recipe for ice cream from the Far East to Italy. So then in Italy, it started to become something much closer to modern day ice cream around the 16th century. And then when it arrived in France, as we said, that was when the French finally decided to flavor ice cream with vanilla. Did you know that Italy has been serving ice cream for more than 500 years? The French may have added vanilla to ice cream first, but Italians had already established a tradition of gelato since the 16th century. Gelato means frozen in Italian, and it refers to the specific method of ice cream preparation that started there after Marco Polo brought it from Asia. 
One story goes that the very first gelato was made from milk, egg yolks, sweet wine, lemon, orange, and honey, and then served to Charles V, the King of Spain. Okay, so how did it get to the U.S.? Yeah, that's a great question because it was later added to ice cream in France, as we said, and eventually it made its way to the U.S. by way of none other than Thomas Jefferson, who then was American minister to France. Okay, so Thomas Jefferson brought vanilla from France because he was stationed there for a while. Exactly, yeah. He was there in the 1780s, and among his many accomplishments and everything he's known for, he is a reason that vanilla ice cream arrived to the U.S., And he's also, incidentally, the reason that creme brulee arrived in the U.S. as well. He brought his French-acquired taste to the U.S. Got it. He sounds very bougie. (laughs) Yeah, very much. And actually, this is a a rather well-known story. He is, in fact, the first American credited to write a recipe for vanilla ice cream in the U.S. And that actual recipe, you know, in his own handwriting and everything is still in the Library of Congress. So going back to vanilla, how the heck did vanilla get to France if the bee was only in Mexico? We talked about how Thomas Jefferson was the one who brought vanilla ice cream to the U.S. uh, by copying the recipe and bringing it back. But I'm actually more interested in another slightly more clandestine journey that vanilla had. So while Mexico is the birthplace of vanilla, today the number one vanilla producer is Madagascar. What the heck? That's on the other side of the world. How? Madagascar is the world's largest vanilla producer with over 2,900 tons per year, and Indonesia is the second largest producer. But vanilla arrived in Madagascar first, and that is actually where the modern vanilla industry blossomed. Okay, how the heck did they get that bee to fly from Mexico to Madagascar? Here's the thing they didn't. The Melipona bee continues to be the only species of bee that naturally pollinates vanilla. So I'll preface this with the fact that almost all of these stories start with somebody smuggling something to a place they're not supposed to take it. There's an anecdote that says that in 1793, a single vanilla vine was smuggled out of Mexico by a sailor to the island of Reunion off the coast of Madagascar. So I guess back then they didn't have those like little things at the airport where you have to like put your bag through and exactly. you can't like, you know, check check if you uh, are bringing any agriculture they didn't into have the country. customs. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot easier, I guess. Okay, so he smuggled the pods, but how did he smuggle the bee? So he didn't. I mean, he brought the pods to Reunion and then they were grown there. And Reunion is actually an important vanilla producer despite being such a small island, but then eventually they made their way to Madagascar as well. So people there started growing vanilla, but they didn't have any pods at first. And what they didn't know was that they were missing a key factor, which was the Melipona bee. So they couldn't bring the bee to Madagascar. So farmers in Madagascar had to learn how to pollinate vanilla flowers by hand. That sounds like hell, like incredibly tedious. It's an incredibly labor-intensive process. I mean, just picture it, right? Because there's no bees to do the job, you basically have to go to the male part of the plant. You know how plants, a lot of them have male and female parts, right? right? So you have to go to the male part of the plant, collect the pollen, and then you have to gently add it to the female part, and then you have to repeat the process for every single flower on the plant. This is flower porn. 
Yeah, this is yeah, quite literally flower porn. Yes. Who was the person that invented this process? There is this really interesting story about Edmund Albius, who was a 12-year-old enslaved person on the French-controlled island of Réunion. So the vanilla vine was smuggled into Réunion, and then this boy used a stick and his thumb to push together the male anthers and the female stigma of the vanilla flower, basically pollinating it efficiently. At least this is the story that is often told about how this hand pollination process was invented. It's extremely labor-intensive and time-consuming, and so that is in fact why it is the second most expensive spice worldwide, topped only by saffron. So uh, you're telling me that there's a vanilla in Madagascar, and then there's like the original vanilla in Mexico. So is that why there's like, when I go to the ice cream store, there's Mexican vanilla and just regular vanilla? Vanilla now comes most likely from Madagascar or from Indonesia, but Mexico is still not the top vanilla producer in the world anymore, but still still does it, right? And so it actually has a very different taste than other vanillas worldwide. So Mexican vanilla is actually a very rich marriage of sweet and woody notes, and it also has a kind of deep spicy character. It has like notes of clove, of nutmeg. So there's definitely a little more more spice, like those flavors in it. And then the vanilla from Madagascar is what we're familiar with. Yes, exactly. It's a lot sweeter, it's creamier, and it has a like a more mellow flavor than the Mexican one. Okay, so then if vanilla is so expensive, how come it's everywhere. I mean, there's a ton of very cheap vanilla flavored products. Like I can get a vanilla ice cream for $1. I was hoping you would ask that because now is the time to talk about vanillin. Okay. What's that? Vanillin is the main component in vanilla extract. And that is what gives vanilla its particular aroma. I thought it was going to be a villain, like some evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vanillin, the, the secret vanilla hoarder or something like that. And to satisfy global demand for vanilla, it was soon discovered that you could replicate the taste of vanilla by using only vanillin because it was much cheaper to collect. So the funny thing is that vanillin is a key component in vanilla extract, but you still have to, you know, do the whole pollination by hand to get the vanilla to get the vanillin from that, right? So why is it any cheaper? So it turns out that vanillin isn't only in vanilla. It can actually be found in a lot of other places. Nowadays, most of it is synthetic and it's made from petrochemicals, but a significant amount of vanillin is actually still made the old-fashioned way. It's taken from the waste produced by preparing wood pulp for paper. So my $1 ice cream is basically me eating wood trash. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but very flavorful wood trash. Yeah, I was going to say, it tastes good and it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because like there's tons of different ways to extract vanillin and one of them is actually this, right? And it's that wasn't actually even the point of doing all of this. So like, you know, when you prepare wood pulp for paper, this is just a byproduct, right? So they discovered that it was there and that you could actually extract vanillin from there. So it's sort of like a happy accident that it happens to be found there as well. So most vanilla flavor products have no vanilla at all then. Isn't that amazing? Also, I think it's kind of fascinating that one of the best ways to replicate the flavor of such an expensive and laborious plant is literally 
from the waste of another plant. So, like, would you say that this is, like, a sustainable flavor? Like, it's reusable? I mean, there are ways to do it very sustainably, I guess. It's also true that a lot of vanillin is also synthetic and made from petrochemicals. So, like, there's that other side as well. But there are certainly more sustainable, eco-friendly ways to extract vanillin apart from the vanilla bean. So why is vanilla being majority produced in Madagascar when it is so labor-intensive? Like, wouldn't it just be easier to produce in Mexico where they already have this bee? Yeah, so unfortunately there's a bit of a grim answer to that, which is that vanilla was produced in Madagascar while people were enslaved in Madagascar as well throughout the 19th century. And even after slavery was abolished there, of course, poor working conditions continued to exist. And so that is why Madagascar is still currently such, such a top vanilla producer. So this brings me back to like, if it wasn't for the Totonacs, none of this would have happened. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad you brought up the Totonacs because I think it's important to consider that they're actually still producing vanilla. So, I mean, Mexico is no longer the vanilla powerhouse that it used to be, but it's quite beautiful that despite all the hardships, because climate change has severely altered the ecosystems and the Melipona bee has become more and more endangered, the Totonac people are actually still harvesting vanilla. And I think that it's it's beautiful to consider that they're still there doing what they've been doing for hundreds of years, and they're actually still managing to sell it worldwide and keeping the first form of vanilla cultivation alive. And in any case, going back to the beginning with the wacky flavors at Dolores Hidalgo, you see what I mean by like vanilla being in fact the most interesting flavor there? A thousand percent. This was such a wild story. It's really cool that they make chicharron flavored ice cream but like vanilla is really really interesting so vanilla ice cream y'all if you want to buy it now you know the story and it's anything but plain vanilla <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this episode if you're still hungry for more stick around and listen to our other episodes this season how Not to Travel is produced by Studio Ochenta and hosted by Dr. Kiona and me, Luis Lopez. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez. Production and sound design by me and Chiara Sandella. Our production coordinator is Catalina H. Vélez. And our social media manager is Sofia Rodriguez. You can follow us on Instagram at How Not to Travel Pod and at Ochenta Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at Ochenta Podcasts and on TikTok at Studio Ochenta. Read more about the show and about our other productions on our website, ochentastudio.com. Thanks for listening, y buen provecho.